Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, a weekly podcast here on Pro Cannabis Media. You probably know that we produce a weekly news show called Weed Talk News, and we are always so happy to have a professional with tremendous experience in the cannabis space joining us weekly on that show as our New York correspondent. She's from the Green Market Report. She's Deborah Borchardt. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me. I'm happy to be here. And Deborah and I are also going to welcome a very special guest to the program this week. And it is the CEO of Unbridled Brands. His name is Frank Nuttall. And besides being a graduate of Tufts University, okay, see, I had to get it in, get it out of the way. Um, he's had a very interesting career in cannabis industry and cannabis corporations. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today as a fellow jumbo. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you both today. Deborah, why don't you walk us through a little bit uh, about what you know about Frank's background? Because I know you've been actually following the beat of big business in cannabis for a number of years now. Go ahead. Well, for the audience, I just want to make a note that if you're not familiar with the name Unrivaled, it's because the company used to be known as Terratech. And for many years, we've been calling it Terratech. So now we're having to retrain ourselves as the company is now being called Unrivaled. And this is a relatively recent change. I'm so happy to have a chance to talk to you, Frank, because really TerraTech, which is now Unrivaled, has been through quite the year. Um, at this time last year, you guys were honestly low on money, starting to sell some assets, kind of rejiggering everything and taking uh, a a new tact, if, if you were a salesman, you would you know that sailboat reference of tacking into a different direction. Um, so now we fast forward to, to today, you've been through some management changes, you have sold some assets, but you've also bought some assets and now your revenue projections are quite robust. So what a year the company has been through uh, can we just kind of maybe recap some of those changes for the audience? Because these aren't small changes. These are fairly large changes. And I right. feel like what you guys have done over these months has gotten you to where you are today, which is in a pretty solid position. Right. right. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. And, and yes, we had um, we had a tough 2020, um, notwithstanding COVID and, and some of the, you know, the, the capital market downturns. And you know, frankly, as, as you know, part of that floundering, um, uh, we were able to execute an update uh, or an upgrade to the management team and the uh, the board governance. So I joined uh, along with Nick Kovacevic uh, and another fellow uh, as board members in December and subsequently stepped in as CEO in December of 2020. And as part of that, really looked forward to using the uh, then TerraTech platform. Uh, and by that, I mean, uh, our uh, OTCQX listing with some of the asset sale proceeds you referenced, as well as um, uh, an investment that my predecessors made in Hydrofarm stock. So really leaving me with um, an opportunity to use the public company platform and our balance sheet to build the company in a highly focused manner 
you know, concentrating on cannabis assets, uh, cannabis operating assets, specifically on the West Coast. And you had a, a CBD business, but you opted to not go that direction, correct? <laughs> Yeah, the um, and and you know the decision was made by my predecessors uh, to close that down as well as acquire it <laughs> in the first place, um, and and I think that was a very sound decision to close it down. I, I you know the the decision to go into CBD post farm bill um, was was maybe a little uh, less focused than than uh, would have been preferable, but um, I, I I firmly believe that closing it down made sense based on the overall economic environment for CBD products. Um, so, um, and that's been as part of the focus I'm, I'm bringing to uh, Unrivaled Brands. Um, I'm, you know, unlike a lot of uh, the actions taken by my predecessors or other companies in the industry when capital is flowing, um, you know, I think there's a great deal of value in being highly focused specifically in cannabis and specifically in a, a you know, relatively small geographic region. With that said, that relatively small geographic region, California, Oregon, and Nevada represent about 30% of the federal market. So small relatively uh, geographically, but certainly of high value and, and uh, with enormous upside opportunities. Uh, speaking of upside opportunities, uh, I'm sure you knew that uh, last week was kind of a historic week in the U.S. Senate as three major senators filed a public discussion document uh, that is called, uh, I believe it is the Cannabis Administrative and Opportunity Act. I think I got that right. Deborah, did I get that right? You did, and I wish they would have come up with a different name so we could have had a fun an acronym for it. Really, how about the MORE Act Part 2 or something like that, right? Anyway, uh, I got to get your reaction to it, Frank, because, you know, I think all of us on this call recognize what's going on in our country right now and how the uh, political divide has kind of stagnated a, a lot of governing, let's just say. And cannabis is right in the middle of it. And now the senators are reaching out to the public for public comment from a perspective of yours, from a large cannabis company in the United States. Uh, what's your reaction to that? And I guess, as long as something gets passed, it'll be positive, right? Uh, for sure. And, and there's, a, there's a bunch of different tiers to what that something might be, of course, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, the full legalization or, you know, rescheduling or just a bank act. Um, I am, you know, firmly uh, of the opinion that, you know, the long-term value is in, in legalizing cannabis. Um, I think, you know, some of the, the history is, is, is not very attractive I think the, the war on drugs did not you know, play well, uh, especially with respect to cannabis. So over the long term, I, I fully expect and believe and support legalization. With that said, I don't, I don't know that the Senate's got the votes right now to do that. And um, you know, I, I think at some point um, to your comment, we may be looking at a lesser but still good first step forward. And um, I mean, I think one of the, the big issues uh, in our industry is, is frankly, commercial banking. Um, and, you know, the fact that we don't have good access to commercial banking and cash handling and credit card processing at this point in the industry's growth is, is both unfortunate and, frankly, you know, one of the biggest operating pain points we experience. So I would like to ultimately see legalization, of course. I just don't know that's going to happen right now, given the political divide, as you referenced, the construct. 
Um, and it would certainly, you know, um, note that having, um, you know, even, um, uh, you know, a bank act would be a huge step forward. Don't mention that bank act with uh, Cory Booker present. I just want to say, <laughs> you know, he walked, his, it back. His, he walked it back. <laughs> he was a little dogmatic in that. Um, I, I think he might have even referenced laying down on the tracks, which is right. a, a pretty strong comment to make. <laughs> but, you know, doesn't that reflect the passion that these guys have, or at least they're putting that out for their public persona? I know that there's going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. That's why I'm not a big fan of politics. And, and another example of why the people's will is not being answered as easily as the people would like it, because there are politicians involved. And I'm guessing that there's got to be some internal frustration among the industry about that as well. If you get 70% of Americans are now saying legalize it, 90% recognize the medicinal value of it, and we're still struggling to get that message to our representatives in Washington. And we all know why there's money involved and everybody has to get a piece of it. Right, Frank? <laughs> it's, it's, it's mystifying, right? You have uh, a product where you have overwhelming public support into as you point out on the on the medical side it's you know 90 plus percent um if you look at many other aspects of it um you know whether it's recreational or or medical there's very significant benefits on the medical side you've got all kinds of issues with ptsd you know inflammatory diseases you know uh, crohn's colitis and others where there's pretty strong evidence it, it helps quite a bit um and then on the recreational side, you know, cannabis is by all accounts safer than alcohol. Um, so it's a it's a it's a situation where you have uh, a product where, you know, it's safer than other legal products by a, a good margin. It has you know significant perception and value and in, in med treatment, um, and you have overwhelming public support. So. The fact that we have not yet even gotten something as simple as this, the Bank Act or the Safe Act done is 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 just mystifying. Um, to your point on money involved, yes, I mean one of the you know one of the issues that I've not seen a whole lot of discourse on yet, but you know frankly under Section 280 of the Code, federal government actually makes a fair amount of tax money off the industry, and if it were legalized or rescheduled, that revenue stream would go away. And um, I haven't seen much in the way uh, of legislation that really addresses that uh, or makes, makes you know, the government whole uh, in that regard. So to your point, there's you know, that. And then at the state level, uh, obviously you know, states like Colorado and Michigan and Ohio, if subject to interstate commerce would have significant tax base and revenue uh, tax and uh, employment base uh, reduced or even eliminated, you know, by virtue of, of, of cannabis shipping across state lines from Oregon and California. So, you know, on, on top of the, you know, the 280 issue at the federal level, you also have state issues and their local employment and taxes that come into play. Um, all that said, I'm still mystified why we can't get a safe banking act <laughs> through. Well, I, I think there still remains a lot of, I don't know if it's misinformation or a certain learning curve that needs to take place. I'm in New York. Um, my local towns are starting to discuss whether they're going to opt in or out. And you would think, you know, being just 40 miles north of New York City, that people would be a little bit more informed about cannabis. And I was surprised at some of the Facebook comments 
for my local area talking about the town having a, a town meeting about this and approving it and should they opt in or not. And some of the things that I was reading that people were saying were pretty shocking. Um, you know, saying things like everybody knows, you know, cannabis was a poison and that's why they outlawed it. What? And, and then when I said, no, actually major medical companies like Lilly and Pfizer sold it as, as a medicine before it was outlawed. And I was accused of lying and making things up. And I was like, I have the research. I've done the, re this is fact. And it blew me away at how much misinformation was still out there. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be up to the companies like yourself to, to really put forth a, a public ed education effort. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, uh, go ahead. I'm going to let Frank go here, but wouldn't it be nice if they would allow public service announcements on traditional media to actually enlighten and educate the public? Right now, cannabis companies can't even reach those people. Right, Frank? It's frustrating to deal with the stigma that you still face every day, don't you think? It, you know, the, the, I, I think the market and the public perception has evolved very quickly. Um, obviously, you know, the issue of misinformation online is hmm. not unique to cannabis, right? right. I mean, if you look at the last couple of years, there's definitely, you know, in politics and elsewhere been been a bunch of that. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it's probably the vocal minority because if you look at public support, it's very high as we previously discussed. Um, and there's, you know, considerable evolution of, of the thought and support for the market and for cannabis. Um, so in as much as there's clearly disinformation online, um, I think it is, you know, unfortunately the, the vocal minority that's pushing that. Uh, to your point, yeah, we, I mean, our ability to, um, to um, manage communication is, is, is very limited. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, getting to that vocal minority um, it is, is difficult. Deborah, uh, you got something? I, you know, no, I, I was going to actually circle back to something you mentioned about the interstate commerce, uh, which I found very interesting. And there's a lot of discussion around that topic because on the one hand, yes, it makes sense from a business perspective. If you had one distribution center and you had all your growing taking place in a state where it was cheaper to grow, and then shipped it around, boy, wouldn't that, you know, save you a ton of money versus having a uh, cultivation in this state, that state, you know, and all this repetitive corporate structure. But yet for some of the states, I, I can see where they would want to protect that because I think you even kind of touched on that a little bit. Now you have states that are wanting to hold on to that business within their state and not lose it to the distribution center the next state over, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your own, a little bit of a, a deeper dive on that subject with you. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, the, by virtue of the fact that there's been, that it remains illegal at the federal level, but the federal government has largely turned a blind eye um, to, or, or allowed the states to do it on their own basis. I think we're, we're arriving at, or have arrived at a situation where whatever legalization occurs and whenever it occurs, um, is likely to be pretty deferential to state rights. Um, because even uh, the proponents 
the current proponents of federal legalization, uh, they represent individual states and they're going to want to you know, assist their respective governors, I think, in, in preserving the tax base and employment base. So I, um, you know, while I ultimately expect some form of legalization, I think there's going to be pretty significant state control over how it's imported uh, across state lines, as well as grown, distributed, and taxed. Um, so, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, most of the states in the country, um, generally speaking, you're in a situation where we can get one outdoor crop. Um, and even if you put it um, in hoops or, or greenhouses, it's not nearly as efficient necessarily as it is to grow uh, in similar environment in, in California, Oregon. So I think because of that, uh, whatever form of legalization occurs, um, there will be considerable deference to individual state um, management of the um, regulatory regimes. I, I got to ask a question, um, uh, Frank, that it's not going to be uncomfortable for you because I know you've, you've been asked this many times. You know the movement in cannabis is trying to help those most affected by the war on drugs, giving mm -hmm. opportunities, uh, whether it's social equity or economic empowerment opportunities, that first crack at licenses, try to protect the small business. You're a vertically integrated MSO. Um, you're aware of that, I'm sure. And is there any... Uh, socially responsible capitalism plans that you might have for your company looking down the road, if not already in place? Yeah, actually, we have um, already in place. Uh, some of our licensed uh, assets are uh, already pursuant to social equity plans. I mean, in California, as you might understand, um, has been one of the leaders in social equity and, and trying to address some of the ills of the past. So, um, some of our licenses are already in social equity programs, uh, and we are working towards additional licenses, um, primarily in California and other jurisdictions that are also subject to social equity. I think, um, you know, we touched a bit on it before, the, the war on drugs was, was um, you know, not a, not a is, there's not a good history there um, with respect to the socioeconomic impact on certain groups. Um, and, you know, frankly, given public perception and the you know uh, the dramatic differences between cannabis and other schedule one drugs the fact that you know the incarceration rates for for something like cannabis in the past and then it was so it was so high is, is alarming and then that it was you know it was targeted at, at particular groups was even more so so um full proponent of addressing it. It's, you know, it's complex, right? It's, it, it's, um, it's hard to get it right, which is, I think, one of the things that will tie up the, uh, the new bill in, in Congress um, is how to, how to make it work. Um, fully supportive of it, uh, active programs, um, but, you know, getting it to work is, is a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, and I, and again, you're a responsible businessman anyway. I think when you build a business that has projections like this, it's important to have people that do have access to capital to at least get it going and then perhaps tweak where the capital is available so that those who, you know, really do have an opportunity here can take advantage of it. I see that is going on, you know, and by the way, nothing is fast enough in this industry. Am I right, guys? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't expect them to work on this bill too often, but uh, encouraging the public to 
uh, comment on it on the website is something we're going to take on as a mission and and share with our audience and all our programs on the lower thirds in our post-production process. So um, do you expect an overwhelming uh, input from the public on this, or is it just going to be let the politicians do it, that let them do their job? You know, I'm, I'm not a sociologist or, or, or I haven't told anyone. I, I, I studied that at Tufts just for oh, the right. sociology. <laughs> I did. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was, I was an economics major. So, I know you were. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I failed um, that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, um, uh, I, I, I expect that most of the commentary will come from industry professionals. Um, you know, unfortunately, given where we've been in our world over the last year, year and a half with uh, COVID and contentious elections and economic issues. While I think there's broad support, um, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are dealing with, with weightier matters. And um, so I expect that most of the commentary will come from professionals. Now, you know, a lot of the professionals are, are, I think can speak well on behalf of the industry um, and provide appropriate comment. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think you know, it remains to be seen how much you know, non-industry professional comments there's going to be. I said, don't you want to be the intern that has to screen all those emails? Come on. <laughs> you talk about a summer project. Oh, who's this guy doing it? But I, I'm, I'm with you, Frank, on that one. Um, I Deborah, don't feel that those comments are going to make any difference anyway. You know, when you've got 163 pages already drafted, I feel like the comments are performative, if, if anything. And even if you got an overwhelming amount of people in the comment section saying, we're all against page 10, section four, you know, I'm just making that up. I don't think that's really going to shift things one way or another. I just feel like the, the comment period is you know, delegated or, or regulated by law so that they have to do this comment period and they're not really going to pay attention to what's in the comments. Yeah, Maybe and, a little and, cynical. <laughs> and, and look, I mean, as we chatted about, there's a vocal minority that, that opposes, but, you know, there aren't many things politically in our country where you have, you know, 90% support, let alone 70% support um, between, you know, med and rec. And to your point, I don't know that there's gonna be a whole lot of review of the comments because from a, from a voter perspective, there is more support for some form of legalization here than just about any other matter that might, be, that might come before Congress. Um, right, so, but to Jimmy's point, you know, he even said that, that you have this overwhelming number in favor, but then you have politicians that are going against what their constituents even want because it's, you know, politically favorable for them to align with a certain uh, viewpoint versus doing what their constituents want. Very fair point. Um, but I think it's also valuable to consider that who thought even 10 years ago right. we would be having this conversation. Um, and, um, you know, for a long time, the pioneers in our industry were super entrepreneurial, super risk-taking folks because there was no real guidance on how the federal government would respond. And 
Um, you know, when Jeff Sessions revoked the Cole memo, it sort of brought it all up, up again. And, you know, despite you know, revoking the memo, the federal government continued not to really do anything about it and continued not to fund enforcement. So um, in a span of relatively few years, we went from an industry where you had very entrepreneurial, high risk taking folks trying to create the foundation of our industry because the risks were there to an environment literally less than 10 years later where we have approximately 40 states that have some form of med, um, 12 to 14 states now that have that have wreck or maybe 15 even. Um, and the fact that we're having this conversation in this manner, I think is, is much more than, certainly I expected even six, five, six, seven years ago. And I think as a result of that, um, there will you know, be an ongoing movement in Congress to adjust and adapt. And you know, one of the, you know, the beauties of the system and one of the detractions of the system is that it's very consultative and it takes a while to move legislation through. And I think sooner or later, Congress is gonna catch up to the public support and the public will. Um, and in states where you, know, you have senators that oppose it, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, I don't know how many points it's worth in the voting booth, um, but um, you know, in states where the populace supports it and the senators don't, you know, that's you know, in a tight race, that might make the difference. So there's something wrong with that picture. I just want to say <laughs> uh, in a true democracy, we understand it's a republic, you know, but point being, uh, it would be nice if there was a little bit more reflection of what the people want in our politics, um, you know, given the restraints. I would just like to see these two sides actually start talking to each other again, instead of saying, if you want it, I don't. If you want it, I don't. I mean, that's not government. I just, <laughs> that doesn't work that way. And I think America is about communication and, and, and discourse. Isn't that the whole point? I mean, we're sitting here having a great conversation about it. So I just hope uh, I get to see something like that. You know, what we talk about media uh, a lot when we interview people, Frank, and, you know, the reaction from the cannabis media, and Deborah, I definitely want to hear from you on this as well, um, has been, you know, it's been happy, but I think B, B plus, I mean, it's been very cold. Most of the headlines are like, you know, hey, this is the, the right legalization, but it isn't going to happen. That sort of thing. Is that built into our job as, uh, you know, to kind of point out what the facts are and let the people decide? In other words, we have that skepticism and cynicism reputation, don't doesn't the media? Well, I think you're right. But I also think that it's similar to what Frank was saying is that we don't really think that the votes are there. So I think as a media person, in order to be as straightforward as possible, yes, this bill was proposed, but let's be honest, it's a draft piece of legislation and it's still got certain levels to go through. So it's not a done deal. And I feel like, you know, in the past when cannabis media um, has covered some of these legislative moves, uh, they kind of got spanked a bit because they did act like this was a done deal. Like, woo, here we are, we got these votes to pass the house. <laughs> And got all excited it passed the house it's like well that's great it passed the house if it doesn't pass the senate it just doesn't matter and so while you can 
be very positive that this is a great move. It's just one more step in a long path that it has to go. So I think it's 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 apropos and accurate to tone down the the enthusiasm so that people don't misunderstand and think that this is a done deal. Because I think that that's what happens and, and has happened in the past is the readers thought, oh, it's done. And then they don't understand why it isn't done. Frank, what's your read, on, what's your read Frank, on the media on this whole thing? So I actually like to make two points. One is I think um, the media has a very significant benefit and value. Um, to your point earlier, the options and, and ability that, that we in the industry have to convey our message is more limited because of the legal infrastructure around the, the, the industry. So um, our ability to advocate on our behalf um, is, is more difficult. And, and frankly, the media can certainly um, you know, provide some education and assistance in that initiative. I, I also want to jump off point here a little bit, though, and note that you know we're having this debate about federal legality and and, and uh, federal you know regulatory environment. I don't want to miss the point that we've got a really big, thriving industry here in a bunch of different states. <laughs> Notwithstanding that, um, and you, you even said uh, just recently with the unrivaled transition that you guys are projecting to do revenue of seventy million. That's right. That's a, um, that's a pretty solid number. <laughs> it, it's it's very significant, um, and and frankly, I don't you know we're not stopping there, and that that doesn't include you know the development of existing assets we have as as well as any other complementary you know acquisitions we make, um, and and you know we're just one of many players, and, and I think we are frankly uh, on a path to being you know one of the strongest, if not the strongest player in California, but. You know, there's a lot of other markets in which other companies are operating right now, and, and I think there's a longer-term M&A trend that will ultimately result in, in fewer large players. But right now, there's still, you know, across the industry, a fair amount of you know smaller and, and fragmented uh, markets, and you know, we're all marching forward. Um, yes, we have operating issues with banking and credit card and all that stuff because of federal illegality. But we've got a growing, thriving industry, uh, notwithstanding all the federal legislation, you know, um, you know, issues and timing and perceptions. Do you think that by having, uh, I mean, within Unrivaled, you've got your own retail, right? Yes. And you've got your brand. So you've kind of got a, a, already a, a place and a, a platform to sell your brand. Uh, how are you positioning those brands? I, I mean, and, and I guess how how do you define unrivaled? I, I mean, what is your what is it about your product that sets you apart and is unrivaled? Right. So our, our one of our leading brands. So we have a number of brands in our portfolio, um, and we tackle different product types and different price points, but. One of our leading brands, Corova, our leading brand, Corova, is frankly one of the longest standing legal brands in California and um, now in Oregon um, or and in Oregon. And, um, you know, so for us, you know, we have the opportunity to 
expand the scope of our brand portfolio around Corova by virtue of the, the long time credibility, the quality of our product and uh, the distribution and the, and the, the strains we have in our products ha have allowed us to provide. So um, for us, you know, we have the opportunity to, to expand on that in a, in a way I think that will create a, a brand house focused in the West Coast that's really strong. Um, I got to ask you about the upcoming New York market. Um, obviously, the California one's pretty entrenched. The New York one is just starting. How much of your company resources are looking at that state, given the projections for billions of dollars in a market uh, in on the East Coast? So I, I um, really want to answer in a slightly different way. You, you mentioned that, uh, or I, I don't know the word used with respect to California. It wasn't mature, but it, it, the inference I think was mature. And um, I, I'll, I'd like to quibble with that actually, because uh, the number of dispensaries in California approximate 650, which right. is approximately the same number of dispensaries as exist in Colorado, a state with one fifth the number of people. Right. So. Uh, while um, California is uh, by popular ethos um, and you know also to some extent by legal and regulatory environment uh, ahead uh, in the process uh, of New York, it's still pretty early day and mm -hmm. there's enormous upside opportunity here. Supplemental to that, um, look, we're, we're certainly keeping an eye out on, on New York um, and it's obviously a big market. But I also, as we chatted about earlier, want to make sure that we don't lose focus. And with the enormous amount of headroom we've got in the three markets out here in which we operate, the enormous expansion opportunities we have, um, I, I'm not very sanguine about expanding our scope three time zones and 2,500 miles away when we've got such great opportunity here. And um, you know, one of the you know one of the things I've encountered both in cannabis and in my prior tech life is focus is really important. And if you become too unfocused, you know, management, uh, operating efficiencies all decline. And so, look, New York's you know likely to be the second largest market in the country. Uh, I'm keeping an eye out on it, uh, but I don't want to lose sight of the ball we have right now. With your stores, you have, most of them are named Bloom, and then you have the spot. Are you going to, are they all going to be called Bloom going forward? Do you think with the unrivaled rebrand that you're going to be changing names to the dispensaries, or what's the plan for the stores? Yeah, so that's, um, so the, the first uh, effort we made was to rebrand the company. Uh, as you noted earlier, we were Terratech, um, and we rebranded on July 1st Unrivaled Brands. Um, the, the next task we have uh, is to uh, roll out an update uh, of, our, of our dispensary brands. Um, and we are working on both uh, organic uh, developments in that as well as strategic or developments in that. Um, and how that plays out over the next 60 or 90 days will have an impact on, on what that rebrand looks like. Okay, we we'll stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point. And you know, I could sit here and talk forever with this gentleman. I do want to ask you one last question. Um, you mentioned someone who I also have interviewed on this show, and Deborah, I'm sure you're familiar with Nick Kovacevic from Kushko, 
uh, he is um, he was one of my favorite interviews. I could be perfectly honest. But now the question is, they were an ancillary company. I remember talking to him about what it's like to be an MRB. And he told me, you know, that his bank account had been closed six times and and all this. And it was around the same time that my bank account actually got closed for the first time. So it was, you know, I shared that point being. Are you seeing more and more opportunities for vertical, vertically integrated companies like yours starting to eat up some of these ancillary uh, groups that are out there, whether it's lighting or growing or uh, containers? You know, I, it, I haven't seen a whole lot of it. And, and you know, from my perception, it's not of uh, it's not on our roadmap. Um, and, you know, the reason I say that is, you know, there's. There is a divide now between plan touching and non-plan touching and the impacts that has with respect to if you're public where you can list and where you can bank um, and, and all sorts of, of you know, operational and tactical issues in that regard. Uh, the other thing is, you know, just hews back to my earlier point is there's so much opportunity in plant touching assets in the states in which we operate that, you know, again, I don't want to lose focus. And, um, you know, we have... Uh, three open dispensaries now. We're in the process of opening two more. We're looking at various strategic alternatives to, you know, potentially add to that. Um, and you know, in a state where, you know, they, they could reasonably support 2,500, 3,000 dispensaries, there's a lot of upside. And so, it, it, you know, from from my perspective, a, I haven't seen it in the industry a whole lot, and B, I really don't want to think about it with respect to unrivaled brands because I don't want to defocus us from the, the real big opportunity we have now. You, you use the word focus. If you have any tips to help me with that, please, I, I'd really appreciate sharing it. Uh, for years, people have tried to get me to focus, uh, and I don't know. It is what it is. Um, Frank Nuttall, thank you so much from Unrivaled Brands, uh, Deborah Borchart from the Green Market Report. We will continue to look forward to seeing your reports on We Talk News. And of course, your newsletter, Green Market Report, is available for subscription as well. So, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. And for everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, we thank you. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Yes, that's the audio format, or just our channel and our newsletter on all of our social media platforms. So for everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, remember it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of Pro Cannabis Media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Thank you.
Pro-Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro-Cannabis on Instagram at Pro-Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn, also at Pro-Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro-Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro-Cannamedia, and on twitch.tv backslash pro-cannabis media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.